Well, we are in the middle of James, five weeks of James. This is the middle sermon, so you're more than halfway through now. The book of James, the gospel of James, I might add, is a wonderful reading of what Christian faith is about. James is concerned about connecting the dots between belief and action. He's very pragmatic. He's very direct about this or that or the things that we need to be aware of. I want to read this passage. It comes from James chapter 3. Again, it comes from Eugene Peterson's translation of the scripture called The Message. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the highest standards. And none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you would have a perfect person in perfect control of life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the whole world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With their same tongues, we curse the very men and women God made in God's image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? You know this little ditty from childhood. This is one all of us have learned. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Everybody has learned this in life. We have said it to our children. We have said it over and over and over again, and it is something that you could, I could poke you in the middle of the night with a stick and shine a light in your eyes and say, say it, and you could say it. Countless generations, all generations, I would suspect, have warded off childhood taunts with this saying. But we all know it's just not true. I hate to break the news to you, but it's not true. This children's rhyme is used as a defense against name-calling and verbal bullying. It's intended to increase resiliency 
and avoid fighting back. Physical retaliation. This is a, a way to chill and to remain a little bit calm in the moment. Just remember, they're just words. But the lines of this childhood chant carry their own contradiction, don't they? Because if, the wor- if words pose no threat, this saying wouldn't even be necessary. I mean, just use your logic about this. We give you this as a way, as a way of alternative thinking, we might say. And it's no more than a pep talk to help us muster the inner strength to shield us from the harm and hurt that words do to us. The truth of the matter is just the opposite. Words have the power to wound and cripple us. If we were to take truth serum this morning and all of us share something that we had heard personally spoken to us about us that harmed us and hurt us, it would be an amazing litany. The third chapter of James is a smorgasbord of visual images. It gives us one image after another as a way to think about these, this simple truth that he has to say. It's about bridles and horses bits rudders that steer ships, sparks that ignite massive forest fires, and the irony of our ability to train our animals. They'll do almost anything for us with the right motivation and the right repetitive training. And in spite of all of that, we are are unable to control our language to control the words that we say. Sometimes things fire off in, re, uh, in a response to something that's uh, challenged us or provoked us. And we just say the, almost anything. This, is, this story, this piece of scripture is about tongues that both bless and curse, the irony of having both of those, like strings that rush forward with fresh and bitter water and the plain-spoken logic of fig trees that only bear figs, and seawater that's always salty and never fresh. It's important that we realize that words lie at the base of most of what happens in the world. Words are the way that things happen. This is the way things are triggered. Words make things happen. They do. It's powerful. Sometimes it's the simplest of words that cause the most dramatic changes in us. Simple words like, you're not pretty. I hate you. Or you're the most wonderful thing that has happened to me. The Bible tells us that words have meaning and things happen as the result of them. It is the very first lesson in the, in the scriptures, in Genesis, in the creation of the world, that God, out of nothingness, spoke the world into being. The voice of God created, tipped over the first domino, we might say. The ancient Hebrews regarded every guttural sound in utterly concrete terms. This is the way they thought. They understood, they believed that to speak a word was to create a unit of energy with its own power, once set loose, is set loose into the world. 
this capacity that the, the word itself has. Once a sound was uttered, the Hebrews felt it became its own entity, like an arrow that is shot from a bow and released on its way. This is the way they conceived of the words that we say. Remember in Isaiah, this particular prophecy, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I purpose and prosper in the things of which I sent it. In Genesis, the beginning point in the Bible, the words are the medium of creative activity. Things happen as a result of God speaking. God says a word or two and boom, it comes into being. Well, it's true, the way that we make words is the passing over our breath. It begins in the, in the lungs and the larynx and the support of your body. And the air passes over your larynx and then is shaped by our jaws and our tongues and our lips to form words. Sounds that create what we hear as words. And they're much more than that. Okay, I have a four-month-old granddaughter. You likely don't know the glory of that just yet, but you will over some time as I tell story after story. The other day, uh, Friday night, she was at our house because our daughter and son-in-law wanted to go out to eat, have a date without children. So both granddaughters came over, and the littlest one, four months old, Greta is her name, was just laying there and not doing much. Right? I had her right here in my hands. I can still hold her in my hands, right? And I got down really close to her face and started making faces. And she giggled. That's a wonderful development. And then she started chattering to me. She had something that she wanted to tell me. She was provoked to speech. Now, I don't understand what she said other than I love my grandpa. <laughs> but here she was, four months old, and she's already learning to speak. And she was talking to me about something. You see, the words that come out of our mouths are important. They do things. The words that come out of our mouths open the window of understanding of who we are. It's from one's words. People know whether you're a person who can be trusted or whether you're someone to avoid because they can't trust what you say. You know the line, it's true about politicians, it's probably somewhat true about ministers as well, but it's this line, how do you know uh, he or she is lying? Their lips are moving and that comes out of one one misstatement after another, one untruth after another, one lie after another. His lips are moving. Out of the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing, and words are formed to achieve just that purpose. I wrote this past week in our e-blast, the Friday e-blast. If you don't get that, let us know and we'll send it to you, about a woman who came to Francis of Assisi in deep distress, she was very upset. She confessed that she had intentionally circulated a false rumor about one of her neighbors, and now it bothered her. She was troubled by it. She asked, is there any way I can undo what I have done and make up for this offense? 
And without saying a word, no word in response, Assisi took a pillow and a knife and just ripped it open and shook out all of the feathers which were caught in the wind and took off. Then he turned to the woman and said, go and collect all these feathers and bring them back to me. She tried for a while. She tried to gather them as best she could, but soon returned to dismay, crying, it's impossible. They've been scattered to the four winds. To which Francis answered, neither can you recall the words you have spoken. They, like the feathers, are now scattered beyond your control. That's a story about our ability to harm and to hurt and the harm and the hurt that happens. With our words, we have the power of weapons of mass destruction. We can set some things loose in the world that we cannot control. God said a few simple words and the universe was created and sustained. And when we speak, we have the power also to create great beauty or we have the power to destroy lives. In our lifetimes, the word in its oral form has gone written and then has also gone virtual. I got an email in my car. My car read the email to me. This is the world we live in these days. The whole world has changed in communication. Facebook was formed in a dorm room at Harvard 17 years ago and 2.8 billion of us are now connected through that platform. 2.8 billion. The various platforms of social media create forums that bring people to exchange ideas, connect with, relate to, and mobilize for a shared cause. But ironically, social media is turning us into the most unsocial population ever. The most antisocial generation is our generation. Writer Jonathan Safran Foer observed that every step forward in social media has made it easier to avoid the emotional work of being present. We present to one another information, but we don't disclose our true self. Or if we do, it's in such a way that you really cannot sift out the, the true meaning of your own humanity. A century ago, the telephone was invented, and because of that, people could make a, a, a visit over the phone and not really even touch not see one another. That's happened. Uh, no longer do we show up on one another's doorstep. In fact, just the opposite. Um, I better have an invitation before I come to your doorstep because I'm not going to do it. And that's just the way we, uh, life happens. Technology has moved us further down this path if we, as we have found it preferable to leave someone a voice message. And so we call when we know they are not available. You know you do that. I do too. Quick and easy. No counter arguments. No, you know, getting bogged down in disagreement. No confusion to muddy the waters. It's me launching a simple message to the one I'm calling. Thor believes that the closer the world gets to our fingertips, the farther it gets from our hearts. I suspect that's true. 
Is that descriptive of what's going on in our many worlds and all of our relationships around us with whom we share life? While the emergence of a digital world has done so much to bring us together, it's also a shadowy world where digital bullying can occur. Insults that are to the bone. Where depression and anxiety are heightened. We have more of that today than ever. And where all kinds of criminals and predators and terrorists lurk. Social media can take your identity and then no telling what they do with it. I get an occasional call like you do that I'm in London and I need $900. Please get some Kmart or Walmart cards and send them. I mean, crazy stuff like that. Social media as a tool can help create community where like-minded persons find one another. It can be very positive. It can be a place where students may grow by learning to collaborate in learning groups outside of class. Uh, I teach a doctoral class at Central Seminary in the, in the spring months, May through July. The whole time this year we met on Zoom. I never saw the students. It was just really quite amazing. So what might first century James have to say to us in this 21st century with all of this social media happening around us? James might say something like this. Be bold in unloosing the gifts of the future with your words. Be generous in your praise and resilient in your uh, patience. It takes time for a new generation to step forward to fill the leadership for this church. Don't be shy about giving them your blessing. That's a message from your intentional interim pastor as well. Let's be, let's be bold and embracing of those around us. And in particular, let's nurture people. James might also remind us that our words have great leverage power in enabling the younger members of the church to move forward, knowing they are called by God to lead. All of these things come from the book of James. James who looks upon his congregation and, and through, through whose eyes we look upon our own so that we might understand in the most practical and pragmatic of ways what power we have, what capability we have, particularly the power that's at our, within our reach, that all we have to do is to take it and to lead with it. May the spirit of God's unity and wholeness come into this place and be a part of who we are. Amen.